Hello, this is Tim Convoy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. Good morning. I say that already? Good to see everyone today. It's been uh, it's a silly season, as some call it, with all the things going on and everyone going everywhere. It's supposed to be warm this week. Looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. Merry Christmas. <laughs> hey, a um, couple things I just want to put out there. I, I may have mentioned that I, in my recent board meeting with uh, Dugit Ministries, you know, we were discussing the number of people that signed up here compared to the number of people that normally take on one of their tours, and which is typically 25 people on one of the tours plus their staff and, and so forth that leads us. And since we had like 34 that signed up, you know, as a spillover, and, you know, you mentioned, I said, well, we may have that much ourselves, let alone other churches that may want to be, uh, send somebody um, so essentially what he said is, you know what, if, if you are bringing a group of that size, even 25 to 30, then, you know, we'll just give you your own week. And so, yeah, I was like, nice. And so the thing was, he, he put it, he said, you know what, if, and if we're doing that, you could just, you pick, I said, well, what week is that? He said, you just pick the week. So, wow, we could pick our own week, and uh, and they'll do all the lining up, all the hotels, the buses, everything over that end of it. And so, it, it, you know, they're still talking anywhere between, uh, like, November 1st and mid-December. That's the time they'd really prefer because it's less tourist season. And so, so now it's going to be coming up shortly where we'll have a sign-up and a not only sign-up, but you have to put some money down. That That's where the rubber's going to meet the road. Say, so, okay. They're like, well, I'll send the 34, go down to 14. But, but either way, you know, let's uh, keep that in mind. I know it's the Christmas season, so we're just like, I'm kind of stalling to get you through this season. But we'll still have a, a sign-up for those who really, really say yes, count me in. And then we will um, get our date pinned down and so forth. And so uh, be praying about that. And that, you know, it's not that no one's forgotten it. We just had to figure something out with the the group size. And it's a lot of times it would be one or two people from any given church would go on one of the tours, and then collectively they'll have 30 people from different uh, places. And so, uh, but this looks like it would be quite a larger group. Um, also, keep praying for the end of the year push. You know, we're, we've been whittling down, praise God, just whittling down that mortgage payment uh, by, I think next week we'll be right down to like a low 60s. That's great. Low 60s. Amen. I mean, we came on, we are up around the 850,000 mark. And then, uh, so God's really been whittling that down and we're excited about it. So just be, be praying as we think of gift to God each Sunday as uh, we whittle these down and look forward to the coming year. All right, we are going to be in the book of Romans. Surprise. This will be the last time this year we'll be in the book of Romans. The next two uh, Sundays will be considering our Christmas season. and uh, But this time, we're going to finish Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, it's uh, quite a controversial portion, as we'll see. But one thing we need to remind ourselves, that the Word of God is God-breathed. 
In other words, it comes from the very heart and mind of God, not from the heart and mind of man. So this is God's Word, and we respect that it's such. Um, Father, as we look into your Word, may your Word look into us. Lord, just bless us and teach us and help us. And we live in a cultural clash uh, between you and our culture, and it's always been there, Lord. Uh, but, but we as believers, we as Christians... We cannot have one foot on one side and one on the other. We, we have got to stand and stand where we stand faultless before the throne. Stand where you stand, Lord. And, and Father, you, you, you have a heart that loves people, all people, and are here to save all people. We, we stand with you to have a heart of love for all people. And so, Lord, just teach us, help us, lead us, instruct us. Hide me behind a cross. Anoint me, Father, to preach your word. And just uh, give me liberty of thought and mind and speech. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen. Amen, amen. Judy, good to see you back today. You doing all right? Been praying hard for you, girl. Good, good, good. And there's two Judys here, so it's not first Judy, second Judy. And uh, Judy Ford, we've been praying for her. Just been going through a lot, a lot of difficulties. Boy, I think since the middle of October it's been. So uh, good to see you vertical and just keep going. Good to have you. All right, chapter 1, verse 18. We're going to pick it up. And remember, we see that word for means there's an explanation or a reason coming, just like because or because of we see it. For the wrath of God is revealed. That's one thing about God. God doesn't conceal. He reveals. He wants you to see all things. And even when it comes to His wrath, He reveals it from heaven against all ungodliness, anything that's unlike God, and unrighteous, anything that is not right as defined by God the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The idea of suppress is to hold down. It's to, to try to keep from surfacing, to suppress. It says, for, here again, another explanation coming. Excuse me, I'm sorry, verse 19. Because, because what may be known of God is manifest, revealed in them, for God has shown it to them. So here's God again. He said it's whatever, you want to know things about God, God has revealed it to them and has shown it in them. So it's from the outside and it's on the inside. Verse 20, 4, explanation coming. Since the creation of the world. So he takes all the way back to Genesis 1. His invisible attributes are clearly seen. Now that's quite a statement, isn't it? The invisible is visible. Matter of fact, it's very plainly visible. That's literally what the word clearly seen. It, it's, there, there's no misunderstanding of it. It's, it's God reveals, he said, something that is otherwise invisible, God makes it visible. All right? So he says it's clearly seen, what are his attributes? What makes God God? Being understood. So not only is it, is it perceived and seen, but it's also comprehended by the things that are made. So at creation, the things that are made <clears throat> revealed God, revealed His attributes, revealed who He was, and we understood that. Man has understood it. Matter of fact, even revealed even His eternal power and Godhead. That's the divine nature. What makes God God? 
so that they are without excuse. Man that suppresses the truth without excuse. God's saying, I have revealed myself. I have not concealed. I have not hidden back. I, I revealed my attributes, who I am, my, my power. I've revealed it by saying one sentence and a whole unique verse is, comes into existence. I have shown my attributes, my love, my mercy, my care for you by taking care of you. I have shown this to you. No one can say they didn't know there, there was a God. Verse 21, because although they knew God, that's where they starting point, they did not glorify Him as God. So He knew that God was God, but they didn't glorify Him. It means to put the spotlight on God as God. Nor were they thankful. So no glory, no gratitude. They were not thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. I believe uh, King James say vain in their imaginations. It literally means a discussion within one's mind. Talking. Anyone ever had a, anyone ever had a discussion in your mind? You ever had an argument with yourself? I should do it. No, I shouldn't do it. I hate it when I lose the arguments with myself. That's the idea. It's, uh, every, it's in one's mind. So they knew God's there. They, nature showed God, revealed God. The heavens declared the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. You know, let me, we ask for someone's handiwork, show me what you can do. And we show them, you know, if you made products, you would show, here's the products I make. When it comes to God, what can you do? Here's what I can do. I can say a sentence, and all this comes into existence. Everything that is seen, everything that's unseen. And whether you can see with the naked eye, or whether you have to use a telescope or a microscope. He says, you start seeing that there was a God of design, and power, and creativity, and awesomeness. And say, man, this didn't just happen. Someone designed it, and His name is God. And they knew that. They started with that, but they said, I don't like that. Since I don't like God, I have to think of something else. How else in my mind can I change things up? And I'm not going to give Him the gratitude or the glory. So they knew God. They started there. They became futile in their thoughts. And then notice, their foolish hearts were darkened. The idea was they were enlightened, and now they've become darkened. I love this verse, verse 22. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Always be careful when someone tells you how smart they are. You know what I love about this word, this sentence? Professing themselves to be wise. Many know the, the word for wisdom is the word, or in Greek, Sophia. Sophia is the word for wisdom. The word for wise is sophos, S-O-P-H-O-S. Sophos is wise. Professing themselves to be sophos, Sophia, they became fools. Now, you may not know the word for fools, but you do know it in the English. In the Greek, it's morano. In the English, it's the word moron. <laughs> it literally is the word moron. Professing themselves to be sophos, they became morons. By the way, if you were in your second year of school, you carry this title. Sophomore means wise morons. It really does. You just finished your freshman year, you know it all. Oh yeah, I'm a sophomore now. Probably wouldn't brag about that. <laughs> That's literally what that word means. It's... Some say, well, it doesn't mean sophisticated. No, so, sophos, Sophia, means wisdom. 
wise morons. And, and so God says, here they are professing. He says, I am a wise moron. There's no moron more moronic than I am. I mean, if you literally think of how it's stated, I love that verse. I'm like, that is awesome. And God, but God speaking, he says, okay, here's what they're saying. And God's thinking, oh, hey, how can they think that? So professing themselves to be wise, so false, they became moranos. And change, this word change, does not mean that you took something and made it different. You didn't take a Rubik's Cube and change the colors and make it a different color. It's the idea to exchange, to take one and replace it with another. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Now let's pause there a minute. I'm, I'm helping you with these words. The, the word is not uncorruptible. He's not uncorruptible. He is incorruptible. And there is a difference. This word incorruptible means not able to be corrupted. Not able to be corrupted. It is incorruptible. Something that is uncorrupted means that it may be able to be corrupted. It just hasn't been corrupted yet. Right? We do this with our, with our rights. We have inalienable rights, not unalienable rights given by God. All right? So it's not something that can be changed. And so when it comes to this corruption, God is incorruptible. You cannot take God and change him into a different God. But you have to exchange and move him and make a different God. So they exchanged the incorruptible God, who they could not corrupt, and made an image made like corruptible man. We're not incorruptible, nor are we uncorruptible. We are corruptible. Matter of fact, we're corrupted. Right? Really, we should say, oh no. But he says, there is our God. And matter of fact, not only were they so Sophias Moranos, that they made an incorruptible God into a corruptible man, and they decided, you know what? And we'll make birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. We'll make God into a rhinoceros beetle and say, that's God. Can you see how verse 22 came into existence? When they say, we'll make a, a calf, we'll say, that's God. We'll, we'll, we'll make someone who looks just like us and we'll say, that's God. And the Lord's saying, oh, they profess themselves to be wise and they're so foolish. They exchange the glory of an incorruptible God into everything that is corruptible and corrupted. Therefore, verse 24, based on everything he just said, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts the uncontrolled, passionate desires of the heart. Notice, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged, there's another, there's your same word, actually. It's, uh, I think it's paradidomai, P-A-R-A-D-I-D-M-O-I-N-A, paradidomai. And don't ask me to spell anything in English. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And they worshiped and served. By the way, you notice how both of them go hand in hand? Worshiping and serving should go hand in hand. You don't just worship God. You need to serve God as well. So we worship and serve. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. 
So they exchange this, this terrible exchange. And for this reason, because of this exchange, God gave them up to their vile passions. Now, what are the vile passions? For even their women, again, exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. In other words, you don't see any of this in nature. You see it outside of that which is unnatural. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of a woman in which God created and designed her to be in this setting, burned in their lust one for another. Men with men committing what is what? Shameful. That's God's definition. And receiving in themselves the penalty of their errors, which is due. What's he talking about here? Homosexuality. Start to finish. And then he says this, And even as they, that he just talked about, did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased, literally means unfit mind, to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled, and it's just like we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, it means to be controlled, to be so much uh, in the control. It's, remember the, the glove with the hand in it? The, the glove is filled with the hand, and I can control the whole glove with my hand. This is the idea. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, wanting things. Maliciousness, being showing malice towards others. Full of envy, wish I was them. Murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, it's our word, gossipers. Backbiters, haters of God. Violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. They're disobedient to parents undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. Wow. I mean, that's heavy just to walk through. And I didn't write it. God wrote this description. Who? Knowing the righteous judgment of God. That they know that the, God's judgment is righteous. They know the righteous judgment of God, that they who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but they also approve. It literally means to applaud. Approve of those who practice it. They applaud the unrighteousness and those who practice this. All right, talk about a cultural clash. This was not necessarily written for... 2019. The immediate writing was for the day it was even written. Because in their culture, all this was going on. And worse. I mean, you can get into everything from pedophile to bestiology. All this stuff. Terrible stuff was going on. I, I think um, there's a book called Killing Jesus by Bill O'Reilly. He, he covers the historical side of things that were going on at the time. A very interesting book of the Roman Empire. But the thing is, he is writing to Romans in Rome of what's going on in their culture. And this cosmic 
cultural clash between the culture and God, between who is God, is Caesar God or is God God? And and if whoever is God makes the rule, whoever is the supreme ruler is the one that we must be subject to. And so this is the, the really the, the cultural clash here. Now, I want to preface everything by saying I absolutely do not have any animosity towards homosexual people, towards lesbians. Matter of fact, Lesbos was the island lesbian was named after, and it was right where Paul stopped on his missionary journey. My mother is part of that culture. I love my mother. Let me tell you something. I love her totally. I just did a funeral not too long ago for a daughter of two women that are married. Does this sound like someone that hates people? No, I love people. I'm there to help them. God loves people. So I want to tell you all that, that this, this text as well as this message is not, it's not one of meanness. It's not one of animosity. It's, it's, it's just what, this is what God's Word says. The bottom line is, the message is, heed the warning. This whole text is a warning. Now, first of all, let's lighten things up a little bit. Man, the one undeniable truth is man totally neglects warnings. Man ignores warning signs. As a matter of fact, uh, even sometimes nature might ignore warning signs. So, you know, watch these guys. But man ignores warning signs. We click through a couple. You know, sometimes when you ignore it, you realize that, you know, you're putting yourself in great jeopardy. How about this guy? It says, serious risk of injury or death. Stay away from the cliffs. And he's camping out there. And the crazy thing, you see the rocks on the ground nearby. But they're like, ah, that sign doesn't apply to me. I could pitch my tent right here. You know, or you got a couple. What else you got there? This, this is human nature. I mean, here it is in one picture defined. It says, do not climb, play on, and around pipe. Do not climb, play on, around pipe. You see the pipe? Loaded with kids and parents. I looked down and go, man, that's a dad holding this kid up on a pipe. <laughs> I mean, this, this is a picture of human nature. And I love this sign most of all. Touching wires causes instant death. $200 fine. This is the English uh, Transit Authority. This is actually a news clip I pulled off. Man attacked and killed by alligator in Orange, Orange County. Where there's signs right there, no swimming, alligators, no fishing. And yet he ignores the signs, goes in anyways, and you end up with this headline. Bottom line is don't ignore the warning signs. Matter of fact, there's a video clip of a guy, a bus driver in Texas, and there's one child who is on the bus, and go ahead and roll it. He starts driving past the gun stop sign. There's a barricade just to the right of that picture that he's driving around. See that barricade there? It says road flooding. This happened uh, October 30th of this year. And so this guy's driving down the road, down the highway, or road. You can't see it, but there's... Well, you can't at closer view. There's a number of barricades. Here's another barricade, which pushed out of the way. And then he comes up to this water, and he begins to slow down and think about it. Matter of fact, he sees there's reflectors to the right of the signs that are under the water. 
You see, just up near his mirror. See those that are right? And he's like, I'm fine. I can get across this. Until all of a sudden, like, rump, rump. And next thing you know, not only is he caught in it, he's going down the river. Until eventually he goes down a river and comes into a, a clump of trees and ends up getting a bus stuck there. And praise the Lord, not only was nobody hurt, but, I mean, you think here's he's got a child on this bus. And, you know, you look at this and say, well, how did you get himself in this predicament? How did he get himself here? Not only endangering his life, but the life of someone else's. Because he ignored the warning signs. Man ignores the warning signs. Sometimes it's overconfident, like probably this guy said, I can do this, I can get through this. Sometimes it's just refusal to accept possible danger. Well, it's not dangerous to me. I'm a good driver. Other times it's just pure rebellion. They don't care. And there he got stuck. That happened, uh, like I said, down in Texas, October 30th of this year. And the guy was fired, in case you're wondering. When you look at this text, many see this passage as a threat from an angry, vengeful God. They look at this text as if God is in His angry vengeance, threatening mankind. But after a simple study of this text, you discover this is not a threat. This is a warning of danger from a loving, broken-hearted God. Is a warning of danger that man ignores and does not take as credible. It doesn't apply to me. They not only do not think the warning is credible, they also discredit the one that issued the warning. And, and when you look at this, it's the idea, well, this doesn't apply to me. You know, when I, before I got saved, the crazy part was, I wasn't a good guy. I mean, I, I didn't do good things. And, you know, my mom blamed it on all the other kids. He just hangs around bad boys. Bad boys hang around bad boys. You know that? <laughs> That's how it works. But it was nice because I always got blamed for it. Mom always thought, oh, here you go. Timmy's good. It's those other boys. You know? But the thing is, somehow in the midst of my lifestyle, I always thought that God and I were like this. Man, we're, I mean, God and I, boy, we're right. We're like this. And... Even though God's Word is replete with warning signs, I, I ignore it and say, no, it doesn't apply to me. That's what this text is doing. This text is not a threat from an angry, vengeful God. It is a warning sign. It is a warning of God from God of danger. Matter of fact, look at the warning, first of all, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed. So it's revealed that God has wrath. There's a severe side of God as well as a holy and loving side. God says, listen, I want you to know there is a side of me that is severe against unrighteousness and ungodliness. And so he gives this warning. What, what is the warning? He says that God must judge sin. This is a warning. There is no exception. He cannot spare when it comes to judging sin. And he cannot not judge sin. He has to judge. He has no other option but to judge sin. Do you, you realize that? God, God can't contradict himself. Now the thing is, at Calvary, all of our sin and the sin of all the world was judged at Calvary. 
Do you believe that? I totally believe it. All of our sin, past, present, future, all of man's sin was put on an eternal person, Jesus Christ, who paid an eternal debt of, of death, separation from God for all of mankind. All of man's sin is paid in full. Bottom line. We accept that payment or we reject that payment. That's why John 3.36 said that if you reject the payment, there's nothing left but the wrath of God to abide upon you. Wait a minute. My wrath was poured out at Calvary. My wrath was, was, was displayed while I even did not spare my son. He said, if you don't want that, then, then the wrath abides with you because you abide with the wrath. So God's warning sign is, I cannot ignore sin. I cannot turn a blind eye to it. I cannot make an exception or spare anyone when it comes to having to judge sin. Matter of fact, 2 Peter, here's some verses. 2 Peter 2, verse 4 through 6 says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, here were holy angels in heaven, in His glory, worshiping Him. But when they sinned and, and Satan's pride swelled up and he convinced a third of the angels to follow him, he judged them. He could not spare the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to res be reserved for judgment, the great white throne judgment which is yet to come. And he, verse 5, and he did not spare the ancient world. This is the world before Noah, when Noah built his ark. But saved Noah, one of eight people. Can you imagine there's only eight people that found grace in the eyes of the Lord in Scripture? The rest were, they were already raptured or taken off. Enoch was raptured, translated. But at this time, but when the time the ark was finished, there was only eight left on the earth. A preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Then he did not spare, verse 6, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterwards would live ungodly. So Second Peter says, he did not spare the angels of sin. He did not spare the old world. He did not spare the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Romans 11, verse 21 tells us. 11, 21 says, for if God did not spare the natural branches, meaning Israel, he may not spare you either, Gentiles. He's not talking individuals. He's talking nations. As a matter of fact, all chapter 11, we'll get to it. But here he deals with Israel as a nation. He did not spare Israel. He had to judge Israel. And he says, Gentiles, you who are the unnatural branches grafted in. He says, if Gentiles, if you turn from this gospel as a Gentile nation, we will also incur the same judgment. Because there, he says, I cannot spare it. He's not talking individually. He's talking nationally here. He said, I did not spare angels of sin. I could not spare the old world. Did not spare the old cities. He did not spare the nation of Israel. And Romans 8 verse 32 tells us, He did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him for us all. How shall, I love the second part, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? 
But do you see what God's saying in these? He says, I can't make an exception. I, I, I couldn't make an exception for the angels. I couldn't make an exception for the, the old world pre-flood. I couldn't make an exception for Sodom and Gomorrah. I couldn't make an exception for the nation of Israel. I can't make an exception for the Gentiles. I did not even make an exception for my own son. If he is going to associate with sin by taking on the sin of the world, all my wrath and judgment has to be upon sin. I must judge sin. Warning. I cannot ignore sin. It's a big warning. But here's what you need to know about the heart of the judge. Ezekiel 33 verse 11 tells us this. For say to them, meaning the nation of Israel, as surely as I live, is God alive? Oh yeah, He's alive. He says, as much as I am alive, declares the sovereign Lord. Underline it. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn. Turn, Israel. Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? God asked the why question. We asked the why this, God, why that. And God says, here's my why. When I've done everything I can to, to provide an escape route, and I said, I didn't even spare my own son, and I put out the warning. Listen, warning, warning. Do not reject the provision that, that took my wrath and supplied the salvation of your sin. Because outside of that, the warning is, I cannot turn a blind eye to you. I cannot ignore. I cannot make an exception. But I want you to know my heart. I take no pleasure in it. Matter of fact, it breaks my heart. And I plead with my people, the nation of Israel, turn, turn. That's the, the word repent. Repent, turn around, change directions. So God warns man to turn because he cannot make an exception. Listen, friends, we are free to choose, but our choice will not be free of consequences. God created us with a will. We are free to make a choice. We either accept what His Son did, and in Christ He gives us all things freely. Hallelujah. We accept that, and we get the good consequences of what Jesus did. We, we receive it. Or we reject that, and we face the full consequences of our actions, our choice. You see, when we look at this, God made every effort, verse 19 and 20, to make sure they knew that He existed. That's why when you look at 19 and 20, he says, man, here's my warning sign, verse 18. He said, but I want you to know, I'm going to manifest myself to them. I'm going to show myself to them, verse 19. Matter of fact, verse 20, since creation, my invisible attributes are clearly seen and being understood by things that are made even in his eternal power and Godhead. So they're without excuse. Because when they knew God, and they knew God could not make these exceptions, he said, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Either were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and glorified the creature more than the Creator. And their, excuse me, their foolish hearts were darkened. You see, within man, God has revealed Himself. By the way, we have a thing that we call our conscience. Anyone know, heard of a conscience? Anyone had a conscience? Anyone have a conscience here? No. <laughs> Conscience, con, with, science, knowledge. That's what conscience means. Conscience means with knowledge. 
We have knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of God. Knowledge of His standard. With inside every man, God puts His law written on every man's heart, for they're without excuse. Chapter 2 will tell us. And so man was created and lives today with a knowledge of God in their heart. God manifests it in nature. The heavens declare the glory of God. He, he shows His handiwork in, in all creation around us. He writes His law in our heart. He gives to us a conscience with knowledge of who He is. And within us, we know God. God. He has revealed himself to us. And he says, there's no excuse for not knowing me. I show you that I exist, that there is a God. As a matter of fact, if you were to go into the deepest jungles of South America or Africa, or, or go back into the farthest reaches of, of uh, the Aborigines in Australia, the amazing part is, no matter where you go, the furthest from society you can get into, when you find that very recluse group of people, you know what you discover? You do not find a bunch of atheists. You find theists. They are worshiping something or someone. They're not atheistic. They're not without God. That They have no not No. Even the deepest reaches you find. You know it was amazing? Uh, I don't know when it was. Back in the 70's and the National Geographic did an expose on the Aborigine tribes. And what was interesting in this uh, article, uh, when they were asked how they got there uh, to this land that they were on in Australia, this island, uh, they told of a great ancestor who built a boat. And the name of that, though it wasn't Noah by name, it was four letters and the sounds of their words started with something that sounded like an N. And they're like, wow, that's awful close to Noah. It's like, Oa, without an N. So I'm just kidding on that part. But they just, and, you know, they're like, oh, how did they come up? Somebody must have told them that. As if missionaries had been back in there and told them this story. But that was their belief system. They, they got there on a boat by a guy who built this boat and it traveled across the water and they landed on this dry land. And, and that's how they came in there. And, and they worshiped a God, though they did not know the true and living God. But whenever man is looking for the true and living God and acknowledges God is there, let me tell you something. God makes sure that they know who he is. God gets to them. God shows them. As He reveals truth that we walk in that light, He reveals more light to us. If He reveals light and we walk in the darkness and refuse the light, He doesn't reveal more light to us. That's why Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't throw that which is good just to have it trampled on again. He says, walk in the light that He has given you. And if you walk in that revelation, He gives you more revelation. So man had a knowledge. He started with God, but refused to acknowledge Him as God. And refusing to acknowledge Him as the supreme ruler means they refuse to be subject to Him. You see, if you acknowledge God as the supreme ruler, that means that you are subject to God. He's not subject to you. If you acknowledge God as the supreme ruler, it means we are accountable to His holy standards. He's not accountable to our standards. You see, He is the one that gets the call of shots. So when it comes to His warning, God says, I, I, I have given the warning and I've revealed myself. I've done everything I can. God has done everything He can to show Himself to man, to show Himself to society, to reveal His attributes and His holy nature. But if they don't want to acknowledge God, then God must go. And that's why when you get to verse 22, after they profess themselves to be wise, that's why they then had to exchange the glory of God, verse 23, exchange the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man 
and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. You see, when we get here, you start working through these exchanges, the trades. They started by first, in verse 21, they exchanged God's wisdom for their wisdom. They said, no, we don't need that wisdom. We'll take our wisdom. And then verse 21, they exchanged God's glory for their glory. We don't accept His glory. We're the ones that get the glory. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. They, exchange, they said, we don't want the truth that there is a God who cannot ignore sin and gives a warning. We accept the lie that says, no, God will not surely judge you. You shall not surely die. And they worship to serve the creature more than the creator. Verse 26, the women exchanged the natural use of that which was against nature. You see, when you look here, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. They exchange the design of God when it comes to sexual relationship. They, they exchanged the natural for the unnatural. And they were told their minds that once knew wisdom became foolish, 22. Their hearts that were once enlightened then were darkened, the Scripture said. Their foolish hearts were darkened. In other words, they had this knowledge. They, they can, even today, they could see the knowledge of God. This wasn't a one-time event. This is all through history. And the revelation of God, even as a child, those children know there's a God. You don't have to convince children there's a God. You don't have to convince them to love Jesus. Children naturally do that. They naturally love God. But there comes a point in our life where we say, I don't like God. I don't like His standards. I don't like uh, His, His morality. I'm going to define my own. And then our foolish heart then becomes darkened. You see, we trade life. They traded life for death. And a dark presence came over them. Let's talk about the sin that God focuses on here. You're probably like, no, can't we talk about something else? No, let's, let's focus on what God talks about. Here's a question. If all sin is sin, is sin sin? Is all sin sin? James 2.10. Whoever keeps the whole law yet offends in how many points? One is guilty of how much of it? All of it. Any and every sin. So if sin is sin, as we see in this list of 29 through 31, there's a lot of sins in there. And it's kind of strange that in the midst of all these sins, we say, oh, they're terrible sins. He puts in there disobedient to parents. Oh, wow. Maybe that shouldn't be in there. <laughs> Have any of us ever been disobedient to our parents? All right, so we can plug ourselves in there. If sin is sin, all sin is sin, here's the question. Why does God focus on the sin of homosexuality? And yes, homosexuality is a sin. I do not define morality, nor do I say what is or isn't. God defines morality. And he says this is shameful behavior or this is good behavior. And he defines sin here. He says homosexuality is a sin. Is homosexuality any more sinful than disobeying your parents? So you hear it? Is homosexuality a sin? Answer? It is. Because God says it is. Not because Tim says it is. You, you got a problem with that. Argue with God. Don't argue with Tim. Don't write me bad emails. Send your email to God. God says homosexuality is sin. But God says if I lie, I commit all the sins. Right? 
You break one, you're guilty of all of them. So when I look at this, then I ask the question again, then what makes homosexuality, why does God focus here on homosexuality as different from the other sin? Is it different or is it sin? It's still sin, but there's something very unique about not only, as he describes it, homosexuality, uh, but literally sexual immorality, verse 29. There's something very unique about this particular type of sin, sexual immorality. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us about its uniqueness. It says, flee sexual immorality. Now notice, every sin that a man does is where? Outside what? The body. But he who commits sexual immorality, as he describes it in Romans 1, sins against his own what? Body. He said, all the other sins, sin is sin. Any sin is sinful. He said, but and it comes to categories, all these other sins are external. Now, it's not outward, because whatever goes outward proceeds inward. But he's not talking about a directional doctrine here. You follow me? It's not talking about direction. I'm just talking about going. It's talking about a placement. It's talking about a location, not a direction. Now, as outward is a direction, inward is a direction. Outside is a place. Inside is a place. Comprende? Are you sure? I am. All other sins are outside the body. If I lie against you, it's a sin outside of my body. It's the place where this takes place. And so if, if I cheat on you, if I, if I steal your stuff, I lie about you, these are sins that take place outside the body. But sexual immorality doesn't take place on the body. It takes place inside the body. We're sinning against our body. Our, our body is made of body, soul, and spirit. Our personhood, we who are on the inside. This isn't an outside sin. This is a real inside sin. So when I look at this, I still ask the question. With this inside sin, as he even just said in chapter 1 there, dishonoring their bodies. There in verse 24. Their lustful hearts to dishonor their bodies. They dishonored something inside. They were breaking something inside. Sexual morality breaks something inside. What makes this inside sin any different? than sin on the outside? Here's what God revealed to me. It is because within us is the image of God. That's the difference. It is the ultimate defilement of Satan. When Satan can create an inside sin, cause it to inside sin rather than outside sin, he now is corrupting and defiling the image of God, which is in us. All men are created in the image of God. Remember, Satan cannot corrupt God. He cannot corrupt God. He tried it with Jesus. He was incorruptible. Satan cannot corrupt God. So Satan goes after his image, his representation. Remember, the first thing Satan does in the first commandment, no false gods. What's he do? He, he creates false gods. He said, no, no, that's not God. Man's God. This four-footed beast is God. Everything else is God. Man's not God. Or God's not God. Man is God. He goes after the first commandment. Second commandment, he says, make no graven image in the sense that here... He goes after the image of God. In order to, if you can't corrupt God, you corrupt anything that represents God. If the 
creation represents his attributes, then corrupt the creation doctrine. Say, no, it wasn't created. It, it just came about. It oozed out of the water somewhere, and it evolved into what it is today. You see, now you're going after the attributes of God. And so when you go after the attributes of God, you're attacking God's attributes. You can't change God. He's incorruptible. But then you go after his greatest pinnacle of creation, which was man. The only one in creation who is created after the image and likeness of God. You are body, soul, and spirit. Like Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You are a trichotomous being. And not only are you trichotomous, but you also have personal self-awareness that contains your morality. I don't know if you know this or not. Animals do not have morality in the sense that you and I have morality. They don't go, ooh, wow, I shouldn't poop in a neighbor's yard. That's a pretty crude illustration. They don't think anything of it. They don't have a moral awareness. We have a moral awareness. We have a personhood, body, soul, and spirit, but a personhood. That's what Job tells us about. I said to my soul, I said to my body, I said to my spirit. Three times he mentions all three parts, but he speaks of the I as separate. He has personal self-awareness, personalhood. You and I are created in the image of God. Satan wants to defile, not wants, he wants to defile man because it's not about man. The sexual immorality, in this case, homosexuality, anything against God's design, it is not merely an assault against man. It is ultimately to defame God. It is to defile God's image in man so that God is then defiled. And defacing the image in man defaces God. You see, he starts going after God's attributes at creation. And that's why this ties it since creation. He goes all the way back to creation. Think of it this way. Let's say you owned a property. You just bought a piece of property, and it was a junkyard, a former junkyard. And I mean, just junk everywhere. And you go in there, and you clean up these many, many, many acres that you have, and you clean all the junk out of there. And then you went through, and you, and you took down all the dead trees, and then you, and you made these beautiful pasture lands and, and beautiful uh, designs and landscaping in there, and you called designscape in there, and they did a beautiful job as you know they would, and boy, here's, you, and you got a pond there, and this beautiful fountain, and, and you made all this beautiful park with a beautiful pavilion and bu public buildings that anyone could enjoy, and then you gave it all to your county and said, it's all yours, all to the state even. And then the governor comes in here and says, wow, and starts extolling all the beauties of this land and says, this park is beautiful. The fountain's amazing. The, the, the pastoral lands are just so vividly green and beautiful and the animals scurrying around. This is awesome. And he gives this beautiful speech and then he credits and thanks somebody that had absolutely nothing to do with it. And it was all your time, your energy, your expenses, your property, everything belonged to you. You did all of it, and then, but he credits someone else that had absolutely nothing to do with it. Do you think that would dishonor you? By the way, this happens in the workplace all the time. Many times, not all the time, many times. Someone 
does whatever, and everyone else takes the credit for it. And they're like, what? And that's, that's the, the picture we have here in creation, that God created all these things, and, and, and Satan said, no, give the credit to yourself. Give the credit to this four-footed beast. You're, you've escaped out of Egypt. That wasn't God. That was this guy. Remember, they, they, they uh, made the golden calf. They said, look, God delivered you from Egypt, but God is a golden calf. And, and Moses comes down with God's commandments, and he sees this. Was he a little upset? Yeah, he was upset. Did he do anything wrong when he was upset? Yeah. Broke the Ten Commandments. And in so doing, he got himself in trouble. Like, oh, man. So then he go back up and get another set. But the point is, God made all this. And Satan wants to go after creation. And he, he says, don't give God the glory. Don't acknowledge Him with gratitude. Instead, let's give man the glory. Let's build a statue of man who had nothing to do with building this park. Let's build a statue of an animal, of a rhinoceros beetle. And said, this beetle built this park. Can you imagine if you built that park and they built a statue to a beetle? And it said, there it is. There's the one that made this thing. You say, that's absurd. You think that's absurd. They think, some think a beetle created this whole world. That's absurd. Amen? Man. But then he goes further and he goes after the image of God. You and I are the image. We are the depiction. We are the likeness of God. I happen to have an artist's rendition of a picture. Anyone ever seen this picture? This is not a selfie, by the way. This was an artist's rendition. And I thought for today's lesson, I was going to, well, I was going to draw a mustache, but there's already one there. But I thought I would just scribble it all up. Make funny faces on it and stuff like this. Let me ask you a question. Is this Jesus? It's not. This is somebody's image of Jesus, which... Jesus would probably be a little darker, being Middle Eastern. But this is their mental image of Jesus. But this came to represent Jesus. So when you looked at this, did you think of Jesus when you looked at this? Yeah. It's an image that represents something that we in picture in mind as Jesus over these past few centuries. For me to deface this, and I thought about doing it, but I was afraid I was going to ruin it for some of you guys. You go, Every time I see that picture, I see something smeared on it. By the way, it wouldn't be sacrilegious if I defaced it. It wouldn't be sacrilegious. It would be dishonoring to the one that drew it. It's like putting a mustache on a Mona Lisa. It would dishonor the one that made it. In the same way, you and I are in the image of God. And He defiles that image. Because in so doing, He dishonors the one that painted the image. You follow me on this? So when you look at this and you say, well, why does... God picked this sin. If sin is sin and all sin is deserving of punishment, why does he talk about this sin? Because this is Satan's ultimate defilement, is to defile the, the pinnacle of his creation. Not just to say his creation was made by a, a cow or a beetle or a man, but to take the pinnacle of his creation and commit sin that's not on the outside, but on the inside that defiles the very image of God. You see, friends, you could superimpose Genesis chapter 3 over this text. Because this text starts with a warning. 
And then it starts with the dismissal of that warning in chapter 1 of Romans. But when you look at creation, chapter 3, what? It started with the warning. Every tree of this garden you may eat, but don't eat that. The day you eat it, you'll surely die. And then what happens immediately comes in the lie. And the lie is, God did not surely say in the day you eat it, you'll die, verse 4 of Genesis 3. You see what he did? He dismisses the warning. because that warning doesn't apply to you. That's not really for you. He didn't really say that in a warning. He knows that if you eat it, the day you eat, you shall become as God, knowing good and evil. Now think of that for a moment. At this point in their lives, their short lives, what did they know? Did they know evil? They didn't know evil. Did they know good? Yes, they knew good. That's all they knew. All they knew was good. They knew God who was good. They knew His creation. Every day said it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. They, they knew the garden and everything in it was good. All they knew was good. And so the lie was that there's something missing. And God's got it. He doesn't want you to have it. And if you take this that God's holding back from you, you'll have what, what you really want. To be as God and to know good and evil. And the only thing he gave to them that they did not have prior to that, he gave death to them and he gave evil to them. They had no knowledge of evil to that point. And now they do. And they looked to the eyes. They saw it was pleasing the eyes. The lust of the eyes. They saw it was a fruit to be desired. Lust of the flesh. And the pride of life says, you know what? I know better than God knows. And they gave into their lust and their passion. And what happened in Genesis? God showed up in chapter 3. Called out to them. Called them out of the bushes. Said, come on. They repented. They came. He slew an animal. He gave them redemption. He covered. They went with God's plan. God saved Adam and Eve in that text. The difference in this text, God gives the warning to man in chapter, verse 18. And he says, listen, I cannot not judge sin. I, I can't ignore it. I can't turn a blind eye to it. And Satan comes and says, ah, don't worry about that warning. God's just trying to hold something back that you really want. And here, instead of yielding to God, they yield to Satan. And he yield to his temptation. You can superimpose it from creation to the warning, to the lie, to the lust, to the Lord's coming for them. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 3, the Lord went to Adam and Eve and saved them by grace and forgave them. And they did not refuse. The difference in this text superimposed with Genesis is here they refuse. As a matter of fact, the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve were told, verse 24, Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies. Verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. Verse 28, it says, even when they did not want to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. It's the same exact word. Gave them up to a debased mind to do the things that are unfitting. Let me tell you something about this word as I close. This is not an angry, vengeful God. This is a broken-hearted God trying to do everything he can to hold them. Matter of fact, it's interesting, this word to gave them up, it's the idea, for time's sake, if I had time, I'd illustrate it, where somebody is wanting to go this way and they're being held back. 
And, and they're like, no, no, don't, don't, don't go. And the person say, no, I'm going. And someone over here convincing them, come on, come on. No, let me go, let me go. And they keep fighting God. They keep fighting. And God's holding them saying, no, don't go that way. Don't listen to that lie. Don't give in to those passions. Don't get into that lust. It's sin. I cannot turn a blind eye. I'm warning you, don't do it. And we're saying, I don't care. And we rip our hands away. And the, the word, and God gave them up, it literally means to let go. God just, okay. And he let them go. And when he let them go, they went this way. So is God to blame for letting them go? No, he's not. Man's to blame because he said he traded the truth for the lie. He ignored the warning and said, there's not, this doesn't apply to me. And God's saying, no, it does. Don't go that way. Don't go that way. Man, when I read through and studied this text, I didn't come out of this seeing an angry God like this. I came away from this literally tears, just like, man, Lord, you've done everything you could, and yet Satan has done everything he could to dishonor you by defiling us. And you held on and held on until we ripped ourselves away. Friends, listen. Sinful pleasures that Satan offers is a chocolate-covered razor blade. It really is. You say, that's gross. Yeah, it is. But that's what he offers. God, on the other hand, is not trying to keep us from pleasure. God is trying to pull us towards pleasure. Don't fall for the lie that homosexuality is acceptable to God. It's not. It's sin. It's like all the other sins. It's not acceptable. God designed it the way God designed it because God's God. God said this is how it is. And I either stand with God with the loving heart of God that loves people and pleads with them and calls them to His grace and forgiveness and love or I ignore God and say, nah, He's right. Come on, you can go over here. It's fine. If you really love people, you stand with God if you really love people. And you encourage them, come on. Love them to Jesus, come on. Just like he said to Israel, turn, turn. For why will you do this, O Israel? Turn when there's no reason to do it. I have everything for you, everything. Fathers, we come before you. Help us to gain a new perspective on this text. Help us to put aside our righteous indignation, self-righteous indignation, and to realize this sin is no different than our sin. It's no different in the sense that sin is sin and must be dealt with. But Father, help us to have the heart of Jesus that said it has been dealt with at Calvary. And there is a Savior that loves us and wants to save us and deliver us from the lie that's being offered to us. Father, give us a heart of compassion towards people. And thank you that he that spared not his own son, but gave him up for us all. How shall he not also with him give us all things freely? Thank you, Lord. We're recipients of all your grace and all your blessing, not because we're so good, but because you're good, and we receive that grace. 
Bless us as we go this way, our week ahead of us as we go this week about your business. Help us, Lord, to remember this. No room for selfish, self-righteousness. No room for judgment. There's a lot of room for pleading with people and loving them, calling them to grace. In Jesus' name we bless you. Amen. Amen. As we stand and close our time, you know, like I said, it's like, well, this is going to be a heavy text. But you know what? Though the text is heavy, let your heart meditate on the goodness and graciousness of God. What a good God. Just keep holding on to it. Say, come on, come on. If you have a need today as we close out, there's going to be folks here to pray for you. You just come. Let us pray for you. Let us pray. Father, anoint us with your presence. Speak to our hearts. Maybe we need to pray for loved ones. Maybe we need to pray just some issues in our own life, health, finances, whatever it might be. Help us, Lord. Help us. You come. If the Lord's speaking to you, you come. Come quickly. That could be long. Cornerstone, weak made strong in the same.